Welcome to the Storehouse Podcast, a family of people dedicated to being the hands and feet of Christ, serving to Lord the Earth know Him. Find us on social media at the Storehouse NG and hit that subscribe button so you can get these sermons every week. Good afternoon, church. How are we doing? How are we doing? Great. Um, you know, God is so intentional. I was, I was smiling earlier because we haven't spoken, right? We haven't spoken. I haven't spoken to Toby. But it's just interesting how well, exactly what we were speaking about in prayer, I was speaking about the woman by the well, right? And, and what was I saying about the woman by the well? And I was, I was, I was talking about um, Jesus telling her that there's, a, there's water that you drink, and once you drink it, you'll thirst no more. And then you start singing Jacob's well. Um, and Today I'm speaking about a steadfast spirit. Um, also talking about seasons, but a steadfast spirit if you're going to title it anything. Um, talking about a steadfast spirit. Is Abel here? Abel. Where's Abel? Please, can we just, let's just welcome Abel. If you don't know Abel, please come, come, come. So like I said, we're fasting. So enjoy your last supper. We start tomorrow, and we'll be praying morning and evening, 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Oh, yeah, I forgot to also announce we're going to be having weekday services here. Although I'm not sure if we're going to have it here this week, but we'll be having weekday services, so keep that in mind. So why, why do we fast? Why do we fast? Consecration. Anybody else? Why do we fast? To lose weight. Okay. Although some people, when they fast, they, they gain weight. That's uh, miraculous. Signs and wonders. Because at 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, they are eating all they will eat for the next day. Anybody else? Why do we fast? Have flesh to be aware of his presence. Thank you. Sensitivity to seek God's face. For good distractions. Any other any other reason that we haven't said? Hmm? To wait on God. Anybody fast for answered prayers? Anybody fast to defeat the enemy or to defeat their enemies? Um, you know, the um, Pharisees had, had a question like that for Jesus. Anybody remember? Matthew 9, Matthew 9, 14. 15. 
says the disciples of John came to him saying why do we and the Pharisees fast often but your disciples do not the disciples of John came to Jesus saying why do we and the Pharisees fast often but your disciples do not fast and Jesus said to them can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast what did Jesus mean by this anybody disciples of John came to him saying see we've always been taught to fast right and so we fast the Pharisees fast but you guys your disciples you don't fast why aren't they fasting Jesus was with them why, why did that mean that they didn't need to fast and what does that tell you about fasting They had access to him. Anybody else? Presence. So that means Jesus was saying that you fast to get into the presence of God. And so while the bridegroom, while God is there, you're already in his presence. says there's no, re no need to mourn when the bridegroom is here. But when the bridegroom is taken away, then they will fast. And so for anyone that is longing to be in God's presence, Jesus is telling you that fasting is a way into his presence. Jesus addressed their question. He explained what fasting is about. He said, fasting is fine but there's a time for fasting when the bridegroom is not here and it's it's um it's important you know these guys really put a premium on god's presence i I'm, i remember is it martha is it martha um that wasted the was it martha or mary it was mary mary that wasted um the perfume the alabaster jar on Jesus it's because she had placed a premium on the presence of God and I guess what we're saying is that we need to get to a place where we place a premium on God's presence in Matthew 9 16 he continues he says no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved and what Jesus was saying was that even your reason your, your reason for fasting is 
is wrong. The purpose be behind your fasting is wrong. It's religious. You're not fasting after God's presence. You're fasting after your needs and your wants. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Because if all your needs and wants are met, how much fasting would you do? Let's be honest with ourselves. But what Jesus was saying was that your needs and wants, everything is in his presence. When they needed food, did they struggle for food? They were in, in, the, in the desert somewhere and nothing to eat and God provided food. When they needed to pay the tax collectors, what happened? He got fish from the mouth, um, coin from the mouth of fish. When they needed protection, he was there. When they needed redemption, remember there was one, one of them that cut off the ear of a soldier. If they didn't sew the ear back up, what would have happened to that one? I say he sewed the ear back. There was no sewing that took place. But you guys get the picture. And so everything that they required was in God's presence. They didn't need to go anywhere else for anything that they needed. So steadfast spirit and I think one, what really provoked this was, was Psalm 51 Psalm 51 10 it says create in me a clean heart O God and, and renew a steadfast spirit within me renew a steadfast spirit within me what is a steadfast spirit what is a steadfast spirit sorry doesn't shake an unmovable spirit, unshakable spirit. Anybody else? What's a steadfast spirit? If you look at the different uh, versions of that scripture, you'll see the different definitions. You'll see a right spirit. You'll see a, a persevering spirit. You know, this persevering perseverance I've been, we're talking about now, P-Mans, I've been praying about perseverance especially for men, um, since the storehouse started. Perseverance is so important because you see so many things and we can't afford to be moved by what we see. So things are down one minute, things are up the next. We're down with the thing, we're up with the thing. Things are sideways one minute, we're sideways with the thing. And so... Even thinking about it naturally, if someone's mood is just going up and down, side, side by side, it doesn't help for good mental health, right? It doesn't, doesn't make for good mental health. We're just flowing with the emotions. The government announces this today. Uh, they strike tomorrow. There's, and each time, we're just, it's just a shock to our emotions. We're just riding the wave. Perseverance is so important. 
Another one says a loyal spirit, a strong spirit, a true spirit, a faithful spirit. And so this is what David was praying for. He was praying for a steadfast spirit, an unflinching spirit. And this is David that we saw that had experienced God in ways that many others hadn't. This is David that was steadfast in trusting in God and not trusting in his own ability to kill Saul. That when Saul was there chasing him, he didn't take things into his own hands. The same David that trusted in God to slay a Goliath with a sling and a rock. And so David understood the importance of a steadfast spirit. And my prayer is for all of us to understand the importance of a steadfast spirit and to function accordingly. That we will all have steadfast spirit. In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30, um, Moses made this really impassioned speech. And he was a speech where he was saying, choose life or death. Moses had been through it and he knew that the, his time had come to an end. And he was pleading with the children of Israel. He, was, he knew them more than they knew themselves and he was begging them, see, well, this is his last chance. I have before you life or death. Choose life. And so in Deuteronomy 30, 11, New King James Version, it says, for this commandment, which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. So he was already demystifying the whole thing. He said, see, you don't have to go to a mountain for this thing. Because they were always saying, anytime God wanted to speak to them, they would say, Moses, go, climb the mountain. I don't know if the mountain was too high or they were just not interested, but they would always send Moses. And so he said, this one is not too mysterious. It's not too far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into the heaven, into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. It says, but the word is very near to you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. The word is very near to you, in your mouth, in your heart, that you may do it. In verse 15, he says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. So, in short, what was Moses saying? Love the Lord your God. Walk in his ways. Walk in his ways. Keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments. 
and once you do that you will live and you will multiply once you do that the Lord himself will bless you he will bless you in the land that you possess so that was life right Moses had given them offered them life and said choose life but then there's also the death part. It says, if your heart, but if your heart, verse 17, if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go into and possess. So, what was the death? It says, if your heart turns, if you do not hear, if you are drawn away, if you worship other gods, you serve other gods, then you will surely perish. You know how they say, this, I'm not cursing you. <laughs> this is not a curse. That's what he was saying. He's saying, see, this is, this is it. Choose life, you get life. Choose death, you get death. I'm not cursing you. It says you surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go into and possess. And you know, sometimes when we talk about, when we say, do not allow your heart to turn, what does it really mean when your heart turns? can be very vague, right? We can justify a lot of things. What does it mean when your heart turns? Anyone? Can you identify when your heart turns? I think that these are questions that we need to start asking ourselves. How do we know? What are the fruits of a heart that is turned? You do not hear you are drawn away. You worship other gods. What does it mean to worship other gods? How many people worship Ifah here? Which are the other? What are the other gods? Shong, hmm? Shongo? Anybody? Any other one? Amadio? Anybody? You know, you know, you know. There's a joke, right? I don't even know if it's a joke. I think it's actually a fact. Apparently, if you bring the Bible, and especially in, 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 in banks and things like that, when, when people take loans and they default, if you, if you get them to swear on the Bible, they will, they will default. But if you bring Amadioha or all those other ones, if you tell them that they, will never, they can never lie, whatever they, were, they are taking, they will bring it back. So it shows you what people truly fear. Meanwhile, everybody Christians. Christians everywhere. But the proof is in the pudding. So, which one is your pudding? It says, so that you don't worship. If your heart turns away so that you do not hear, are not drawn away, and, do not wor and, and worship other gods and serve them, you know, I was, I was thinking today about worship. You know, 
when I look at what takes place here, I think I mentioned it here before where I was, I was babysitting. I guess worship affects people in different ways. Some people get goosebumps. Anybody get goosebumps here? Some people start crying. Anybody start crying here? Some people fall on their knees. Anybody? Hands up, hands lifted up. So I was in boarding school. One evening, they said I should take my, my friend Patrick. His sister is called Mary. She was in my sister's set. That she has tickets to Westlife. So the two boys, we should take them to Westlife. So at, at, at that age, how old were we worth? Maybe 14. We're like 14 at the time. So that's how we went to Wembley. I went to Westlife. I'd never experienced anything like that in my life. You guys are laughing. See, that thing is worship. Hands raised. People crying. People on the floor. Goosebumps. Even me, I had goosebumps. See, that thing is worship. Let's not make any mistake. It is worship. It is worship. And that's why they struggle so much because that worship... Only God can take it. Only God can hold on to that worship. And so they have to have means. They use other things to sustain themselves. Because only, only God can take that kind of worship. Think about all the places where people are worshipped. All of them struggle. The only ones that don't struggle are people that are able to somehow direct it to God. Think about fo football. See, some people, God forbid, Nigeria loses. Hmm. Maybe there was a match. I think Barcelona against someone in the final. Someone killed somebody, ran over somebody. Anybody remember that? Some years ago in Nigeria, somebody ran over somebody because they were a fan of the other club that beat them in the Champions League final. Entire weeks, entire months are determined by how your team performs. If your team doesn't perform well, woe we'll betide thee that crosses your path. There's some people, they have their, their stands, that's, that's the word, Abby, stands. What does stand mean? No, but there has to be something now. Spell it out. What does stand mean? Huh? I said what does stand mean. They said S-T-A-N. <laughs> Just tell me you don't know. See. Okay. Oh, that's stand. Are you... Are you... So, this makes sense. A lot of, don't, see, don't worry. I understand you. A lot of people don't know even know what, who Eminem is. They don't know what song we are talking about, but yeah, I, I now get it. Stan was that song. People are still looking at me like, wrong crowd. But some people, if you dare mention that person, be it Beyonce or who else? Kim, Kim K or 
David O. In fact, there is war between David O. Bernard Boy. If you mention them, if you make the mistake, the conversation, anything, go and date a girl and you go and mention the wrong person. That's the end, though. The entire world is defined by somebody else that does not even know them. That is worship. That is worship. So if you're here wondering about other gods and idols, see, the other gods and idols are living here amongst us. We are worshipping them in, not in spirit and in truth, but in whatever way you determine, right? For some people, it's money. Money. See, you don't know anybody until they have money. When they have money, that's when you can. That's the acid test. Some people is money. And so it's important for us if we fall in, there's so many categories. It's important for us to evaluate our own lives, to know where our heart is. Because it says where your treasure is, your heart will be. So where is your treasure? Who is holding your treasure? Who can't you say no to? And so when you see situations where there was one guy, I, can't, I always forget his name, that pastor that made everybody, um, what's it called? Do like a commit suicide, yeah. Hmm? Pastor, well, well, yeah, exactly, Jim Jones, that's the guy. Um, they couldn't say no to him. Whatever he said, was the gospel as worship. And in this country, we like to think that we worship God. We like to think that we're the greatest worshipers of God that the world has ever seen. But when the acid test comes, when that person comes and asks you for that thing, when the situation arises for that thing, let's see if you're able to say no. And in saying no, you're actually worshiping God. Or you say yes, and you worship the thing that you actually worship. Are you guys following? I'm talking about a steadfast spirit. In Philippians 2.13, it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And, and the truth is that if you don't walk in his ways, you don't make yourself available for him to work in. If you don't walk in his ways, you won't be able to do what he wills. If you don't walk in his ways, you will not be able to do what he wills, what he desires, because he's the one that works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. It's impossible for you to do according to his good pleasure outside of him. It's impossible, but many people are trying to. They are trying to do his good pleasure outside of God, and it's not possible. 
Moses continues in, in verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God and that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him for he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. Amen? Um, and, and this is it. He says, he is your life, the length of your days. And, and I want to highlight and emphasize today that the enemy um, is limited. But what he tries to do is to create some kind of mirage and to lure you into making mistakes. To making judgment errors. But the only way he can do it is to cause you to doubt who you are and who your father is. That is what he does. And so I see a lot of people here who are going through things and the things that they're going through are showing up on their face, showing up on their person, showing up in how they interact with people, how they live their lives. They're consumed by everything that they go through. It is because lack of knowledge. My people perish because they lack knowledge. Knowledge of who they are, knowledge of who I am. And so the enemy uses those things to cause you to doubt God, to deny God. But the only way, the only way is to remain in Christ. And God has been speaking to me about life and how life is in seasons. In Jeremiah 29, verse 4, from verse 4, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Who caused, who caused the children of Israel to be carried away into Babylon? Who, who caused them to be carried away? It was God. So God said, I caused the children of Israel, I caused Israel to be carried away. The God of Israel caused Israel to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. In verse 5, it says, see, as you're, you're, you're carried into the, to Babylon, don't worry too much about all the reasons why you're here. Don't worry too much about trying to get out of here. Don't worry too much about the stress and struggle and all those things that you're going through. What did he tell them to do? He said, build houses. Dwell in the land. Plant gardens. Eat their fruit. Take wives. Beget sons and daughters. He even says, even take wives for your sons, which shows you how long you're going to be enjoying that land for. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters 
that you may be increased there and not diminished. So, in your captivity, God also has a plan to increase you. For many people, in their captivity, they'll be lamenting. How can I even get married in this situation? Do I want to bring up children in captivity? Condition. God has said, your captivity doesn't matter. Your captivity doesn't determine who you are, doesn't determine who I am. In verse 7, he says, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. So pray for your captors. Pray that they will be peaceful. Pray that they will not have wars. Because if they have wars, you will have wars. If they have peace, you will have peace. If they are fruitful, you will be fruitful. For some people, they can't get this one. It's like, ah, my enemies, my captors, I should be praying for them. Imagine the person that locks, locks you in, in a cell. You'd be praying for him and his family, for them to prosper, that they will have peace. You will not know war. That's what God was telling them. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts, not our thoughts. In verse 8, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners, who are in your midst, deceive you. Nor listen to your dreams, which you caused to be dreamed. K-Y-G. K-Y-G. Know your God. That upon the prophecy that 70 years you'll be in captivity, some people came and said, your, your deliverance is today. Your deliverance is now. Your deliverance is tomorrow. Apart from the people that came to tell you what God didn't tell them to tell you, you also told yourself in your dreams. You started dreaming of liberation. I watched Sarafina the other day. Freedom is coming tomorrow. It's lost on you guys, don't worry. Um... Sarafina is a story about the South African struggle, how Mandela was, not how Mandela was, a story within the story, but it captured the, that, that time. But some, some of you would be dreaming that even though all of Israel is in captivity, me, I will be let go. And God will even, pro, he, will, he will plant me in another land and he will make me the new Israel. Israel will be formed out of me. Amen. He says in verse 9, For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. I have not sent them. And the dreams, I have not sent the dreams either. Too many of us 
I mentioned it earlier in prayer. Too many of us are relying on secondhand information. And we're relying on secondhand information to determine the course of our lives. Right? What they call it, woolly. They're relying on woolly. They're relying on shaman. They're relying on prophet. They're relying on pastor. They're relying on. To tell you about your life. To tell you what God is saying about your life. Does that even make sense? Can you tell your neighbor, take responsibility? The amount, when, you, when I watch this documentary, well, I say I watch the documentary, I'm not even watching documentary. I just see clips. This BBC documentary on. And it was an international place for people everywhere coming to see what God was sending them about their lives. Amazing. God that himself that came to die for you. We sang Holies of Holies. We enter in the Holies of Holies, right? Our Holies of Holies that we sang, they could only enter once. The high priest, the chief high priest could only enter once a year. And when he entered, he entered with fear and trembling. In fact, he had to tremble because they had to hear the bell to make sure that he was still alive. They tied a rope to him. They tied a bell to him. And he had to observe the rites exactly how God wanted it. And once he heard just a little bit, was struck down, the bell stopped ringing. He pulled him out. He sent the next one in. I'm sure whoever was the next one was always begging, please, oh, just stay alive for me. <clears throat> that is the God that we serve. But God came to abolish, to split the curtain. He came so that we could be reunited in that intimacy so that he would not have to go through another person to tell you about yourself, to tell you about what he desires, what he likes. But as much as he did, we've sewn up the curtain. We said that even though you've done this for me, while I was in sin, you loved me. While I was in sin, you died for me. Even though you did all these things, I'm still not good enough to hear from you. I still need somebody to interpret what you're saying. I think it's in James, it says that then Christ would have died for nothing. Is it in James? It says that Christ would have died for nothing. Just tell someone, K-Y-G, know your God. In verse 10, Jeremiah 20, 29 verse 10, it says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work toward you and cause you to return to this place. It's after 70 years. After 70 years, I will visit you and perform my good work towards you and cause you to return to this place. So 70 years was a season. After 70 years was another season. 
the two seasons are not the same. Both seasons were ordained by God. Both seasons had their requirements. Just to skip to um, verse 12. In verse 12, it says, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, in verse 14, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you to the place which I cause you to be carried away captive. Like I said, two seasons. One season they were meant to be doing what? Eating, drinking, having children, having grandchildren. The other season, what they were meant to do? They were meant to pray. He says, you'll pray to me and I'll hear you. I'll listen to you. Did you tell them to pray in the first season? So, that was part of the issue. 70 years came and went and nobody knew. Why? Nobody was praying. You guys remember, 70 years came and went. And it was on which, which year that Daniel realized that, come, there was one prophecy that is over these people that were meant to be out of here by now. Was it 77th year? 77th year. And Daniel started praying. So, season had changed. Their circumstances hadn't changed. Why? No prayer. Season had changed. There were seven years post-season. There were seven years out of season. There were seven years a slave. Nobody knew. And that's how it could be for us. It's possible that you could be so carried away with the season that you're in. It's possible that you could be so carried away in gloom, just thinking, ah, nothing's working this season. God, you're not listening to me in this season. You're not here in this season. And you, so you carry on doing your thing. And God's like, this season has passed. The season of lifting has come. The season of abundance has come. But guess what? It's still like this. May we not miss our seasons. I think I skipped verse, was it verse 12? Verse 11. Verse 11 says, I know, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope to give you a future and a hope. This is God's assurance. He says, if you don't know anything else, just know that I'm your side. I'm on your side. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. And what are those thoughts? Good. I think good towards you. I think peace towards you. I don't think evil towards you. So though you may be in captivity, 
in captivity I think good towards you I think peace towards you I do not think evil towards you his thoughts are for your future so wherever you are God is already thinking about your future you can't think about your future more than God can think about your future in fact in Psalm 139 he says I'm, I'm already there that future, that one that you're planning and conspiring and he says, I'm already there. I'm waiting for you there. His thoughts are for your future and to give you hope. Whether that's in 70 years of captivity or in the promised land, his thoughts remain the same. I want to, I guess I'll, I'll finish with, with Joseph. Um, and something that God has really been speaking to me about strongly in this season um, that success is about making the right calls in the right season it's about making the right calls in the right season it's not about making the wrong calls in the right season it's not about making the right calls in the wrong season it's about making the right calls in the right season so we all know the story of Joseph, right? Everyone knows the story of Joseph here. Let's see your hand. Thank you. Um, but the truth is that, and the part I'm talking about, forget the, the prison. We talk about the prison a lot here. Forget the prison, forget all those things. When he was now, he was now prime minister, what were his choices? Um, there was a dream. There was seven seasons of lack, or a, se a season of seven years of abundance, and a season of seven years of lack. But even though he had understanding, he had clarity, he needed wisdom to be able to manage the seasons, right? He needed wisdom. It's not, it's not about knowing. Wisdom is about doing. So knowledge is knowing. Wisdom is what you do with the knowledge that you have. And so when Pharaoh, they were asking Pharaoh, who do we, who do we appoint to manage this whole situation? And he said, this, this man, this person that has the knowledge, God that gave him the knowledge will give him the wisdom. So, but the truth is that in the season of abundance it is possible that Joseph could have decided that this is a season of abundance there's plenty and so no need to save right so not saving is one thing right instead of saving the grains you're selling the grains and so what you do you're selling the grains to your people you're selling the grains to your neighbors, everyone around. And when it's a season of abundance, what happens to the price of grains? The price of grains comes down. So when it's a season of abundance, the grains will be cheap. So even if you think that you're making money, so obviously the, the, the government has provided these grains and will be selling cheap and getting money into its coffers, its reserves and all that. You may think 
that that's wisdom right by the end of the seven years you have no grains and you have money you will think that money is a lot until you enter the season of famine that you realize that that money that you thought was a lot is actually not very much at all that's how many people are living their lives today so while selling cheaply the neighbors if they are wise what would they be doing they'll be stocking up they'll be stocking up what they say buy low sell high economics 101 buy low sell high so when the famine comes guess what will happen Egypt will come with his big money thinking it's big but grains that were selling at 100 naira will be selling at 2,000 naira like naira was selling at 100 naira was selling at and what that money can buy will be very little are you guys following so not only will they not have grains they will not have money to buy grains and then what happens so the, that's that's wrong call right season abundance or wrong call but then there's right call wrong season that one is debatable which is famine and saving right so you now decide that you want to save when there is famine what do we call that there's a word for that saving when there's famine austerity that's what they call austerity right when you save when there's famine it's austerity that's that's recession so business is shrinking money in circulation crashes people are cutting budgets in their homes so for example how you cut budget many people here we don't know about it but maybe you're eating chicken once a day for some people twice a day chicken once a day will become once every other day then at some point once every week then sometimes once a month now that chicken is once a month people are not eating chicken again maybe once a year but that once a year has now faded now they've turned it to egg have you not seen the adverts in supermarket in um, restaurants them not it's now egg So just to understand that we're living it right now. We're eating egg in place of chicken. So what happens as a result? An agitated population. You know, every time there's recession and all those rumblings, there's always like change in government just after. There's always always happens. So if you watch, if you're following UK politics, you're saying this guy doesn't have a, whatever he does, he's going to lose, you know. Um, so there will always be change in government. Same thing that happened to Trump last last period as well. Um, and whose head? It would have been Joseph's head, because he would have made Pharaoh look bad. Maybe they would have tried to overthrow Pharaoh, and he would have been off with his head. And it just shows you how. Um, 
how much the decisions we make on a daily basis can affect our lives. But the truth is that all these things were discerned by Joseph in the spirit. They were all discerned by Joseph in the spirit. And you know, it's not just your life, it's your generation. It's your gener- if Joseph had been killed, what would have happened to his generation? So, we have to stop saying that we're young. We're not actually young, we're actually very old. You know, when somebody we were talking about, I don't know why I was watching, and they were talking about, about marriage and talking about how someone married a 13 year old, and the other person brought the point and said, But in those days, how old was Mary when she got married? How, well, how old were all these people when they got married? So now, we're actually, we're old. How old was David when he had to make the decision? All those decisions. Between 13 and 17. Decisions that would change the course of history, that would change the course of his life, change the course of his generations. And we can't even make one decision. We're looking for Woli to help us make a decision. We're looking for prophet, somebody to help us make a decision. Or we don't make a decision at all. Whether to marry or not to marry. To marry or not to marry. To, to, what, what else? To eat or not to eat. What to eat, when to eat, how to eat. Where to put money, where not to put money. These guys were making life-defining generation-defining decisions at such young ages. But we have 30-year-olds, 25-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds that are still in two minds. The devil's aim is to throw you out of alignment. The devil's aim is to leave you constantly playing catch-up with your destiny. Anybody ever felt like that? I should have been here by now. That's what the devil is telling you. You are playing catch-up with your destiny. That's what the devil wants you to believe. Playing catch-up. Always playing catch-up. Or to cause you to miss out on your destiny altogether. In doing so, you eventually deny that God exists or you deny that he cares for you and you just fall into other ways. It says so in, in Romans 1, 21. It says, because although they knew, they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were, nor were they thankful, but they, came, they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things therefore God gave them up to their uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who blessed who is blessed forever and this is where the devil tried to get Job after Job had gone through that, the devil tried to make it seem as if Job wasn't in a season. 
as, as, as if the season was never going to pass. Try to use Job's own wife to convince him that, see, this God that you're serving, that you're serving, just curse him and die. You know that it's over for you. Just curse him and die. And had Job done it, that would have been it. And the devil would have, would have succeeded in his plans. And, and Job was actually heading in that direction. At some point, he started justifying himself until Elihu, a young man, started speaking. Elihu jolted him back into his senses. And if he didn't, if he hadn't, Job would have missed out on restoration. He would have missed out on restoration. And this is exactly where the devil tries to get you. And he causes you to make misguided decisions out of failure to be honest with ourselves. And that leaves us pushing the blame onto somebody else. That somebody else is typically God. That's why the Bible says, darkness endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's seasons. Seasons. Darkness endures for a night. The night must come to an end. Has anybody ever seen a night that didn't, didn't end? Maybe people in, is it uh, in Greenland? I think it's people in Greenland that see nights that, that don't end. Endless nights. But if you're not from Greenland, the night must come to an end. It must come to an end. So whatever situation you may be facing, whatever turmoil, whatever issue you may have, it must come to an end. This one will surely pass. So, while we're fasting, the devil wants you to have things your way. That's the truth. You didn't get me wrong. The devil wants you to have things your way. And, and he wants you to have things your way because your way is the way of the flesh. And we also know that the way of the flesh is death. The way of the flesh leads to death. So the devil wants you to have things your way. The Bible tells us that the flesh is enmity with the spirit. God is enmity, is at enmity with the flesh. And initially, spiritual things don't necessarily feel good. How many people like waking up at 3 a.m.? When I mentioned fast, how many people leapt with joy until they cautioned themselves and remembered where they were? The body doesn't like those things. The flesh doesn't like those things. The flesh doesn't like to struggle or to suffer. Nobody enjoys waking up at 5 a.m. to pray or 3 a.m. to pray or 6 a.m. to pray. But fleshly things feel good, right? Don't they? It's easy to eat. It's easy to drink. It's easy to gist. Is it not? It's easy to gossip. It's easy to do flesh. You know, there are some people that come alive. You know, they'll be sleeping. You know, by the time gossip comes, life enters them. 
So it's, it's easy to do fleshly things because we are encased in flesh. So fleshy, fleshy things are attractive to us. It gives the flesh power over the spirit. Once we focus on doing fleshly things, which is easy to do, once we gratify the flesh, it empowers the flesh. It gives flesh power over spirit and so much so that the flesh can resist the spirit. And so a lot of people are complaining that they can't hear from God. How can you hear from God? You can't. See, the flesh is blocking the channel, is blocking the airways. So though you are spirit, living in a body, having a soul, you will be dominated by flesh. Your thoughts, fleshly. Your desires, fleshly. The results, fleshly. Your fruit, fleshly. As a result, your spirit will be oppressed, malnourished, silent. And if care is not taken, dead, just like Saul. But I'll just read that, that part on Saul in, in, in 1 Samuel 16. It says, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Saul was so, in, was so insistent on doing things his own way. Eventually, the spirit of God departed from him. God withdrew his spirit. And it was replaced by a spirit of turmoil. A distressing spirit. If we're in the flesh, we're incapable of relating with God's spirit. Our spirit will not be conducive for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The help, guidance, direction that he offers will be unable to receive. And so the way of the flesh it is, trial and error, it is consistent mistakes, it is consistently missed opportunities, it is to the extent that it feels like God is against you. Anybody ever felt like that? But the truth is, God is not against you. It's not possible. You are against you. Like I mentioned earlier, and it's written in Romans 8.5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God nor indeed can be so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God so this means that to be led by the flesh is to destroy the very core of your being it's just it's going to eat at you at who you are until you are no more the spirit that is meant to give life is giving life it is giving life to people around you but it's unable to give life to you because 
you are, what do we call it, like an impenetrable wall of flesh. It's interesting, my wife was praying earlier, she mentioned, break up your fallow ground. That's exactly what we're doing in this season. Fallow ground, hard ground is, is, is flesh. It's the hardness that flesh gives. In Hosea 10, 12, it says, sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. So it's time to break up the fallow grounds of our hearts. It's time to receive of him, to receive him again. The year has just begun. Many people are already in their fields. How many people? Many people, believe me, are already in their fields about this year. In fact, this year is already a bad year, according to many people. In fact, this year it should just come and go, according to many people. The year has just started, but many people are already in their feelings. It's flesh. We are, you see, we're, what we're doing in this season is excavation. We're, we're excavating. We're removing flesh. We're digging up flesh. We're breaking up fallow ground. Creating room for his spirit to actually penetrate our lives. People are already feeling inadequate. People are feeling like they've fallen short. Feeling limited, feeling oppressed feeling tired already it's time to break up your fallow ground it's time to stop being subject to what the Lord hasn't said about you can we rise as, as we pray you know there was something that Moses did it is, it is possible. See, is it possible for you to be with someone but not to be present with someone? It's very possible, right? Ever been one-on-one -on -one with someone on their phone, on Instagram? You think they are with you, but they are inside, see, they are inside that thing. They've disappeared into, you know, it's like you can call them, say hello, hi, they're not with you. And, and, and I, I sense that so strongly and, and that's one of the reasons why we're fasting because a lot of people actually believe that God is not with them. People are sure that how God is with every, everyone else, God is not with them. God is not with them. God has assured you that I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's assured you of his presence. So God is with you. It's just that you are not with God. When we talk, when we say in your presence is fullness of joy, it doesn't apply because though he's with you, you are not in his presence. And so Moses in Exodus 33, 14. 
But God said that. God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses responded to him in verse 15. He says, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us from here. God was telling him, I'll send, I'll send you with angels. God was telling him that you enter into the promised land. The people will enter into the promised land. And Moses was saying, no. Entering into the promised land is not, is not the desire. It is not the purpose. The promised land would mean nothing without you. Many people are interested in the promised land without God. They're willing to say, God, give me the promised land. You don't have to come. Am I lying? Everybody wants the promised land. In fact, they'll think, they, they think of God as a killjoy. You just kill my joy in the promised land. We'll, just be, we'll, be, we'll be staying high from a distance. Moses said, there is no promised land without his presence. There's no promise without God's presence. In verse 16 it says, For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall separate your people and I from all the people who are on the face of the earth. The, the prayer I want us to pray is the prayer that Moses prayed to kick this off in, in verse 13. It says, Now therefore, Exodus 33, 13, Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way, that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight show me your way that I may know you that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people consider that this nation is your people I want you to pray this prayer today Moses had a desire for God's way, to follow the will of God, to do the will of God. But he also had another understanding that God was never about just Moses. And if God is calling a man, he's calling a people. So, another way to know, to test yourself, is how do you live your life? Do you live your life for you? Or do you live your life beyond yourself? Some people say, oh, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to give. That's not true. We all know that that's not true. So let's pray this prayer. Lord, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. Show me now your way. That I may know you. That I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. Consider that this nation is your people.